Welcome to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, and I edit films and scripted TV shows in Hollywood. I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help aspiring editors start or advance their careers in post-production. I don't have any training in coaching or some fancy degree in psychology. I'm just a guy who is relentless in pursuing his goals and wants to help people do the same. But I didn't achieve happiness and success in my career alone. Throughout the years, I've come across some amazing people that have offered valuable advice and guidance. That's why I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, to help people navigate the path to achieving their career goals. I've been in your shoes and gone through the same struggles. The challenges and fears on this journey are real. And I want to tell you, it is possible. Here we are, episode seven of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Thanks for being here and thanks for listening. So excited to keep the show going and give you the opportunity to hear advice from all the amazing guests who are killing it in the world of post-production. We'd totally appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts by visiting hollywoodeditingmentor.com slash review. It's a way to support the show and help it reach a wider audience that's looking to break in or advance their careers in post-production. All right, so today I'm talking to editor Curtis Thurber, who recently worked on season four of Fargo, which is now available to watch on FX. His other credits include such hit television shows as Legion, Tales from the Loop, and Better Call Saul. In 2016, he was nominated for both an Emmy and Ace Eddie Award for his work on Fargo, and the same Emmy nomination again in 2017, as well as an Ace Eddie Award nomination for Better Call Saul that same year. I'm curious to know more about Curtis's career and how he's been able to accumulate such an impressive list of credits. He also has a long-standing relationship with writer-producer Noah Hawley, so hope to find out more about that experience and get some advice on how editors can best collaborate with showrunners. Excited to hear from Curtis today? I'm sure he has a lot of knowledge to share. Check it out, guys. Episode 7 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast with editor Curtis Thurber. Ask and you shall receive. We got editor Curtis Thurber here on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Curtis, it's good to see you, man. It's been a while. I guess you got my letter to the editor requesting that I appear on the show. Is that yeah? yeah. Finally, finally, we were to make it <laughs> make it happen. Or my wife, or something. Okay. <laughs> and thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, you know, like I told you, I mean, like a couple of months ago when I started this uh, mentorship program, I put out a survey. Uh, I wanted to get some feedback about like people, what people wanted in this mentorship program. And one of the questions that I asked on there was like, who are some of your favorite editors? And your name came up a lot. It's so nice. I'm humbled. And, and that's that's very nice to hear, especially when, you know, it's been six months since I've really seen anyone else who do, does what I do. It's nice to be recognized from afar. You have uh, some amazing credits. You have some great experience. And, you know, I, honestly, like when we worked together, I mean, we, we hung out and, you know, talked, you know, here and there, but it didn't get to really get, get to know you. And I have a lot of questions. I want to know more about your career, you know, how you got into editing. And, and obviously you worked on, you know, some amazing shows. You, I mean, you've been, you started off in, in uh, on Breaking Bad. You've been on The Office, Better Call Saul, uh, Legion, Fargo. So I want to know more, more about you and how you got started uh, in editing and how you navigated your career. So if you can just kind of give us some insight into your, your origin story, where it all started and, and, and how you got into editing. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's very nice of you to say. But, um, I, you know, I wish I could take full credit for uh, the credits, so to speak. But, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> As always, there's a lot of luck involved, and I've been very lucky in this business. Um, but it's also about capitalizing on those opportunities when they come along. Um, but for me, uh, you know, I I started, you know, getting an interest in, in film um, in high school, and uh, you know, I grew up in Colorado. Um, not a lot of film out there, uh, 
but uh, you know, I, I loved doing what I could at the time and um, gravitated towards, you know, I didn't realize, didn't think of editing as a career at the time, but um, sort of certainly gravitated toward the part of the process where I had everything um, and then I could just play and I didn't know what I had, but I could just put things together and you find the perfect piece of music that makes it all work. And um, it's just something that's greater than the sum of its parts. And I, I was I was enchanted by that. So, you know, I ended up coming out to California. I went to the University of Southern California, but never got into production. Um, ended up doing a film minor while I studied multiple other things, including philosophy and mathematics and all the Renaissance man type things that my, my parents wanted to make sure I did in case this whole Hollywood thing didn't work out. <laughs> so, you know, but, but I really dove in, uh, to the, the film scene there and, um, you know, realized sort of by seeing all the people who wanted to be directors and actors and producers and writers, you know, I think that's when I started to realize that, you know, the more you can specialize, the more you sort of stand out from the crowd. And that that's sort of been my motto going forward from there is that, you know, I wanted to be able to, you know, market myself to help these people make their films. And I, and I had a love of editing and, and I, I just became involved in, in, you know, people, student films who didn't want to edit themselves and came, became very involved in the college TV station and did a lot of editing there. Um, and, um, by the time I was, I think, a, I guess a junior, I, um, got into the internship program, which led me to, uh, Universal, which had a great internship program at the, at the time. Unfortunately, these are the programs that a lot of them have fallen apart over the past decade. So, I mean, it's certainly, you know, I was always a big fan of the internship because I learned so much, um, interning there. And, uh, I was, you know, behind the scenes of, mostly of the show Battlestar Galactica at the time, which was just such a great show. And so great to see the professionals putting it together. Um, Cause you can, you can learn editing all day long when you're at film school or when you're at home, but um, you don't learn the workflow and you don't learn, you don't get to see the nuts and bolts of how, you know, a show gets put together with a team of dozens of people, as opposed to just a couple of your friends. So you know, learning through there sort of led to some PA opportunities. Uh, my very first paid job was down the hall from Battlestar on uh, Law & Order because they needed a production assistant uh, for the end of the season. And they went ahead and um, asked me if I was interested and um, gave me that opportunity for just a couple months. Uh, then I went back to school to finish, finish my senior year. Uh, and when I graduated, I, uh, you know, I looked around for PA work for a while, worked at the LA Film Festival that summer, had a, had a great post-college experience there, and then uh, wound up, uh, my very first PA job out of school was at Breaking Bad, and that was a show, it was going into its second season. I was already a fan of it, which gave me a big head up, leg up, because uh, not very many people saw that in the first year. So, you know, that was an advantage. I went into that interview excited and saying, this is, a, a you know, one of the best new shows out there, and love to be a part of it. And uh, so wound up getting that job as a post PA for, for two years and have made some of the you know, longest lasting connections of my life from that group of people, you know, Vince all the way down. Um, it's a very inclusive group of people that basically just make it obvious that they 
that they care about your opinion and they, and they want, you know, people under them to, to succeed and to do creative things. And, and so many people um, who have worked on his shows over the years have, have done um, very well. But anyway, it became, you know, I, I, I met all the editors that were very, very kind to me, but uh, I got closest probably to, to um, Skip McDonald, who, who eventually, you know, hired me back as a, an assistant editor after I left and um, got my union hours and all the stuff that you need to do uh, in order to actually work uh, in this union town. So Skip McDonald um, was, uh, was, was really my biggest uh, mentor for, for editing. So once I, once I did become an assistant, um, I worked on a sh- few shows, including The Office, uh, which was just for one year because it, it ended up being the last season, which they announced right after I got there. But that was fine because that was such an iconic show and one of the most fun places I've worked because it was basically, uh, it was the kind of place where you could stop in the middle of your busiest day because, you know, the editors down the hall said it's time to play Call of Duty and we'd all hop on uh, on the, on the, the networked computers there and, uh, and play some, some multiplayer uh combat <laughs> that's awesome man yeah that, that was that was awesome and and of course we were right next to the stages there and you know getting to meet actors which was already a rare thing in, in drama for the for the listeners who don't know you know i think more comedies maybe i'm just making this up but a, a, a lot more comedies tended to, to shoot in la um dramas like to you know go to on location for various reasons whatever the look of it is and and obviously a number of dramas shot in la but as far as my experience was, it, it was like the first time that I was really editing right next to production. And that was, you know, that was very fun as well. And then it was right after that, that I think Skip was finishing up on, on Breaking Bad and um, brought me along to uh, fill in on his next uh, show called Low Winter Sun. That's where I met uh, Matt Colonna, who was also on your show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <Love> <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he, it was a, a fill in position that ended up becoming full time. And uh, I assisted him for the next several years through cycles of uh, Better Call Saul and Fargo and um, ended up getting editing credits on both of those which led me to moving up to the editing chair and um, mostly thanks to you know Noah Hawley and the, and the team at Fargo who really you know put some put an insane level of trust in me to to go and uh, edit the first season of Legion, which was the f- first big break um, full season that I cut for them. And uh, if they had known how crazy that show was going to be, uh, you know, probably never would have happened. But I I pulled my weight and um, I've been doing all of their seasons since and uh, a number of fun projects in between. What do you think it was that say, even from the get go, from you were, from you were a PA that say that people trusted you or saw something in you that said, Hey, this, you know, this guy, you know, I want to work with him or give him opportunities, you know, from the get go as a PA, you know, say I'm breaking bad and then moving along your career, eventually working with Noah Hollywood, where you said, Hey, you know, someone put in a lot of trust in me. Like, what do you think it was? Well, you obviously want, need to know what you're doing, but, I, I really have come to realize that the most important thing is to to do whatever you can to make, you know, your direct boss's life a little bit easier day to day. Right. So whatever that job is, whether it's being a PA and making sure the coffee is always ready or, you know, making sure not only that people's lunch orders are right, but that maybe, you know, that you get of the variety of, of sides of the condiments that go with it or the little things that that just make people's uh, days a little bit easier because ultimately the way you get jobs is 
when the next one comes along, uh, they remember the people who, who, you know, made their lives easier and made their work, made their work better. Uh, and they'll call you back and say, Hey, we want to do another one. So for, you know, for assisting, obviously I had a much more of a passion for assistant editing than for, for editing than for production assistant. Um, so, you know, I really dove in and, um, was always very eager to do more than just the technical aspects of it and to, and to contribute creatively. And, and fortunately I had an editor who also wanted that from me. Um, you know, the mentorship part of it, I think is, is so important on finding people who actually want you to succeed is probably the, the other number one thing that's going to cause you to succeed. You know, if you, if you end up in a job anywhere where, it becomes clear that your boss wants you just right where you are forever and ever, then that's, that's the biggest red flag. I think that you got to eventually work your way out of there. Um, I mean, assuming that you have ambitions larger than your current position. So yeah, as, as an assistant, I, you know, I just wanted to cut and cut and it, it didn't even matter if, you know, if it got used in the episode or not, but if I could cut footage and, and get it in front of my boss or, or anyone really to give me notes, that was what I was going to do. So I did a lot of that and I got, I got fast at it. And, and also the, what was really beneficial for me was being allowed to not just cut scenes, but then eventually be able to sit with directors and producers who were in the room and, uh, you know, skip would step aside and say, you know, you want to sit in the chair and, you know, it's one of those situations where you start, you just have to dive in the deep end and, and learn how to swim because it's, um, it's such a more complicated job when you are not just cutting for yourself. You're, you're trying to achieve notes from, from people who are maybe asking for things that the footage doesn't accommodate, but um, that you have to think on your feet and think, okay, I can't do exactly what they're saying, but maybe I can pivot a little bit and, and amplify this part of it. And this, this will achieve the same thing that they want, even though it's not what they're asking for. And, and you have to think about all those things while you, are also working quickly and not dragging your feet and, and not making them wonder like, you know, what's this guy, what's this guy doing and why is it taking them so long? So hearing you, you talk right now, I mean, there's a lot, I think, similarities between you and I, I think like, for example, like, you know, being, uh, see attentive when it comes to getting lunch orders, uh, you know, and, and coffee and whatnot. I mean, like just putting it, you know, getting those orders, right. This is simple, simple as that, right. Putting, giving attention to that. Yeah. And also, um, you know, for example, I know, uh, you and I, uh, both assisted, um, uh, Monty the Graph. Yeah. Who is one of, one of my mentors. And you speak about, you know, your mentor, Skip McDonald. You know, what are some of the things that I guess that you, or concepts that you learn from your mentor? You know, how, how did you learn along the way with, say, someone you saw as your mentor? Cause I, I certainly did. I mean, I, I can tell you, I can go on and on about many things I learned. From Monty and, and 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 how he had my back and how he's been supportive. Um, but what was your kind of like your process? Like, say, you know, having a mentor. Um, and what are some, I guess, the the concepts that you learn, or maybe behaviors, or, or things you, sh you should do or not do in the editing room? Well, for me, I, I think it it helped that 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 Skip and I had, I think, similar personalities in a way. I would say that you know neither of us are the are the ones, and there are editors like this who who do well with it too, who, who will, who will come into a room and, and assert their opinion of the way it should be, you know, and they'll, and they'll have these arguments with, with, uh, with the producer. And 
uh, I think what I really learned from from you know coming up you know but through Skip McDonald and just and just working my way up in the business is that we obviously need to stand up for for a version of the film which we think is as good as it can be but we you know we are ultimately tools to help other filmmakers achieve the best version of their film and you know what i really learned is is that you know it, things can always get better and that you can take a note that you might think is a bad note but instead of arguing it or saying it can't be done if you can find an angle to try something that you hadn't thought of before um, and come up with something that pushes something in an interesting direction, whether or not it works or not, um, you know, there's always things to try and there's avenues to explore. And it doesn't help to think that something is perfect or to think that you've got the right answer and whoever else is in the room with you has the wrong answer. It, it always helps, I think, to be to treat it as a collaborative process and a process where, you know, there's maybe they're not all good notes, but they're not, there are no bad notes in a way where any note can sort of be interpreted as an expression of a problem that someone is having that they don't know how to fix. And if you can be the person to fix it for them and at the same time, make it better in your own eyes, that's, that's like the Holy Grail where, I think you've done something to make the film better that maybe someone else in your position wouldn't have done or, and that, you know, hopefully will be recognized and, and rewarded with more, you know, future work with those, with those same people. Cause I think, I think that kind of thing really gets noticed uh, at least by the filmmakers that you're working with. How about yourself now? Now being obviously, you know, being, you know, like I said, working on, on, you know, such big shows and, and being nominated for, for awards. I mean, uh, now that you're in this position, do you all now play the part of, of mentor with, with your assistant? Uh, absolutely. I, I, I try to, I've had, um, just a couple assistants so far and they've, and they've both, um, you know, wanted to, wanted to stick it out with me. Um, and I think, I hope that part of that is because that, uh, you know, I, I want to give them opportunities. I want them to feel like they grow every season and every time that they try to cut something for me. Um, and to realize that what I'll tell them is like, you know, I'm just another, basically I'm another director's voice in your head. So, you know, you, you, you'll do something for me because I, I realized early on, I think at first I tried to just give a million notes until something was exactly the way I would do it. But I've tried to relax a little bit and, and realize like, you know, everyone does bring their own voice to it. And if you can try to figure out what, what's interesting and what's and what maybe could be better about each version of a scene then it helps you know not only the person that you're trying to teach it helps it helps you as an editor you know start to think through the you know just to talk it out as opposed to just doing it all the time i think actually helps us become stronger editors because you have to vocalize it and you have to you know you have to turn an idea into words that maybe get communicated to someone else who then, you know, has to enact those notes in a way that, that you think is effective. So the, uh, yeah, as far as the mentorship part of it, I, I, you know, I, I try to tell them, you know, think of me as, as another director's voice and I'll, I'll try to give you notes and, um, but I want you to interpret them to, to improve the scene in, in ways that you think are best, you know, try not to take everything 
literally try to try to you know read between the lines and and um, come up with new ideas and things that I haven't thought of or or that the director hasn't thought of and just and just play with it. So uh, you know, I definitely try to men- mentor in that way, and um, and it's always a process of exploration. I don't I don't mind going through a bunch of version versions of something you have a a long-standing now relationship with with noah holly you've worked on on, on fargo and legion and, and congrats on uh, season four of fargo thank you definitely looking forward to that uh but i want to hear about your experience uh working with noah i mean how take us back to kind of how that relationship started how you guys kind of uh started working together and how that relationship has evolved during the years so, uh, you know, I, I worked on, um, all the way back on the, the pilot episode of Fargo in the first year, um, with, uh, Skip McDonald's who, who edited the pilot. Um, and I did the first two seasons with him. Um, and, uh, the first thing I guess is that starting in the first season, um, he doesn't do recaps every week, but, you know, partway through the season, he's like, at some point it was decided like we should put a recap on this episode and it happened to be my episode. Um, and so I cut the recap and and we did that. And, and Noah said, you know, this is, this is good. Why don't you do the recaps for every episode (laughs) for all 10 episodes? Because I, you know, it'll make it more consistent. I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, so but you know i dove in and i you know i wanted to do a good job and and um and that was just a little thing that i could do at the time um and then in season two you know i had i had been cutting scenes and everything in season one because that's what i would always do with skip and then every year i'd try to push him a little farther and be like can i take a a few scenes in a row or uh you know a whole act by a certain point you know that that he'd obviously still give me notes on and have control over but but I, I just was was trying to cut all I could, and and then season two of Fargo, the episode seven became the first episode that we um, shared credit on uh, on Fargo. Um, so uh, I think Noah recognized that, and through talking with Skip, you know, and myself, knew that I was I was interested in editing and. Uh, through conversations that I wasn't fully privy to. He, you know, he asked if I was, if I was ready to, to jump into the chair for the next season, which, which was the upcoming Legion and Skip said, yeah. And, um, and so they very matter of factly offered me the job. (laughs) Nobody even called me. I got like a, a like a message saying like oh congratulations you're on you know <laughs> like, like it was already a done deal basically at that point so that's you know no it can be a, a man of few words but uh, I, he's such a great guy and, and um he you know obviously is supportive of of, of talented people who he recognizes talent in so once i started cutting on legion and you know just trying to prove myself um working with his other longtime lead editor, uh, Regis Kimball, who, um, I've learned probably more as much, as much from him as, as from Skip, um, just working alongside someone like Regis, who's, uh, who's been doing it, um, for so much longer than I have and, and just brings infinite creativity to the job. So something like Legion, 
you know, I relied heavily on um, making sure that uh, he was happy and comfortable with, with the scenes that I was working on. And, and that was sort of his role on that show was to be a sort of a supervising editor. Um, but once we got out of that first season and, and uh, Noah was very happy with the work and we did Fargo three and then Legion two and three, and now we're into Fargo four, it's just developed into a very comfortable relationship where Noah doesn't have to spend a lot of time in the room with us. And he really, I think, relies heavily on people who understand the way he works and, and the style of his show to the point where, you know, he can give the kind of broad sort of thoughtful notes that he likes to give that he usually likes to leave a lot of room, at least in the early rounds of notes for the editor to do what they do. So in other words, like he'll, he'll give a first round of notes, which, you know, says the tone is wrong in this scene. Like let's, let's, let's shift the tone, you know, towards, towards tension. And, or, you know, can you, can you tweak this person's performance overall or, or tighten up, you know, some of the scenes throughout and without a lot of specific guidance, you know, he, he really values a relationship with and the, the editor can interpret the intent and spend however long it takes to do the next pass. But when you send it back, he, you know, hopefully it's on the right track. Um, and that, that's only, that's the only way, that's the only challenge that people ever have working with him really. It's, it's just um, making sure they sync up with him, with his idea of what the show is. And then, um, being able to push it forward without without too much guidance. Um, so yeah, the other thing about Noah is that he, you know, he he works he works very well at a distance. So you know, uh, coming into this pandemic era, it uh, it was a lot more seamless than it could have been because he he likes to view cuts from home and and to give notes, and he's very comfortable with that and not and doesn't isn't the type who sits um, sits behind you a lot. So he he creates an atmosphere where editors are free to, to really explore and to play, especially on a show like Legion, obviously, which was um, creatively just about breaking the rules in almost every conceivable way. So a lot of that was him kind of setting up, setting, teeing things up in an interesting way and in the script and through the decisions that are made in prep about, you know, the look of it. Um, but then he gives his, you know, his, his DP and his, his, uh, his directors and his editors, um, a ton of leeway to interpret the best way to turn the written word into, into a final, into a final show. So it's really like a playground for editors. Like I, I, I really embrace it. And I really, you know, I feel I feel very in sync with Noah's vision. I, I like his shows. I feel lucky to work on them. But um, but yeah, it's it's always about playing with the material and um, and having a collaboration where you don't feel like you have to hold back. Like he never he never gets upset if you if you push things further than he was expecting. Uh, you know, because worst case, you know, you can just pull something back a little bit. But but he wants to see bold and interesting ideas on the screen. What advice would you give to to editors uh, with regards to, to developing, say, a relationship with a showrunner and, and, and someone as, as Noah, who is also a writer? I mean, any advice you can give on, on kind of how to, say, say, get closer with a showrunner, maybe understanding them better? 
um, or, or, or having a, a developing a connection with them? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's through the work. It's through the work, but obviously, it, it helps for you know, like I said before, um, you know, you want to be the one who's who makes makes the day a little easier uh, at the end of the day. Well, that also applies to you know personality, right? So ultimately, you, you know, it, it has to just be a good fit. It has to be someone that they get along with and who you, they like having around. And that's not going to apply to every single person you work with. But you know, if you if you present good work and you do work above and beyond the literal notes that are asked of you, or 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 you know, if you you know, you don't want to be the one who they have to give the note to 10 times and it still doesn't change because some editors will, you know, just have it in their mind that, that something is as good as it can be and, and, and why change it. Right. So I just find that through the work, if, you know, if you can do something that excites them and that they're like, yes, this is just what I wanted, or this is even better than what I was imagining. That's what I think will will be remembered at the end of the day and what, what they'll uh, want to you know work with in the future. A lot of people from the Hollywood editing mentor community uh, asked me a lot about kind of um, interpreting notes. Any, any kind of tips or advice for people for uh, how to in- interpret notes and how to address them when they're not necessarily very specific? Well, it, it goes back a lot to the kind, the kinds of things I've learned working with Noah, especially um, is you know, I, I think that it's, I think that it's very hard to, to go in to work with someone that you have never worked for before with before. And all of a sudden you don't, you don't know, even know what they think the show should be. And, and they say, well, the tone's all wrong or something's all wrong and, and fix it. And, you know, you don't really know where to start in that situation. You know, find something that you think can be improved because I think where a lot of people go wrong is that they they spend too much time trying to figure out what something someone else wants. But at the end of the day, I I just think if you can figure out why it's not working for you, you know, even if you thought it was working well, maybe there's an aspect of it that you can relate to why someone else wouldn't like this thing. So if you can sort of personalize it in a way if that makes sense then you can figure out then then you can start acting as the creative voice as opposed to someone who's just grasping at straws being like well maybe they'd like this better you know maybe they'd like this if uh if it's uh, turned upside down or flopped or whatever um and you're not really making it making it better at that point but if you can if you can parse any note down into its essential the essential oil of its of of its of its problem, then then you then you sort of have a, a place to start building a new structure around that around fixing that problem. And it makes it makes some people you know, you know very uncomfortable to to not be told exactly what to do um, because because you're you're risking something in a way right by just trying something that um, you know they may or may not want. And you know you you ha- there's this risk in doing a bunch of versions that you know the producer director hates them all and then all of a sudden you know you feel like you're not doing your job well or or that there's some tension and tension there that wasn't there before but you know look that's going to happen sometimes but i i i always think you got to kind of swing for the fences if 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 they're really 
thinking something doesn't work, then then try something radical, you know, do something interesting with the footage that they didn't think could be done. And, you know, maybe maybe it'll be wrong, but it'll it'll give them some insight into what else can be done with the footage they have. And it leads to new ideas, right? So I think that's that's the process. I think that the main way that you can go wrong with a broad note is to not do enough. If you just do little incremental changes, they're, they're still going to be watching the same scene and they're still not going to like it. You know, figure out a way to, 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 to make them like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Just do it, okay? Just do it. Hey, man, again, congrats on, on, on season four of Fargo. Um, yeah, thank you. How was your experience working on, on, on this new season? You know, and, and, and kind of what discussions went into to, to prepping for it? And, and maybe did you approach this differently this season and, and, or any other challenges that came up that say you didn't come up uh, in the previous seasons? Well, sure. I mean, every, every season of Fargo, the, the, the great thing about working with, with Noah is that, you know, he, he, he basically believes every season of a show, even if it's a continuous show, which Fargo isn't a continuous show, Legion was, but regardless, both, both shows, he wanted to reinvent it every year. And so, you know, there are similarities in tone, but there's also differences. And, you know, he, for Fargo this year, you know, he drew, he drew from a lot wider Cohen influences than, than ever before. Um, you know, it's the furthest season from the movie Fargo story and location and tone, tone wise. But, um, but I mean, how fun is it to get to also play around with Coen brothers movies like, uh, Raising Arizona or Miller's Crossing, uh, which are, which are two of the influences that kept getting brought up this year. Um, so, you know, you get to go, you, you get to sort of understand what the overall style of the show is and, and there's a comfort level to coming back and, and cutting on a show that you, you just understand what works for that show and for that showrunner. But at the same time, we don't have to like have a repeat of scenes we've seen in the past and the same characters talking to the same people doing the same basic kind of things. You know, we have a whole, a whole new cast that we have to figure out, you know, who these people are and how to best establish their personalities. And, and, um, you know, we have whole new takes on the, on the classic Fargo music written by Jeff Russo. And he always writes brand new music every year, which by the way is, you know, it's delivered to us in, with you know stems which is breakdowns of of all the different instrumentation separately so you know we sort of get to go in with this great template for what the season sounds like musically but we also get to sort of help to recombine those elements in new ways and we do a lot of a, a lot more music editing work on on these shows um because of it because you know we have access to so many different sounds that are all, you know, authored by um, the brilliant, you know, composer Jeff Russo. Uh, but where, you know, we're, we're, your hands are kind of tied when it's all these beautifully mixed um, scores that you can't, you can't just take the one piece, like the one piano or the one cello that that you like in it and and use it by itself. So I, I like that part of it. I like it gives us a lot of freedom to create new sounds. And some of them work, you know, and, and other ones, you know, the composer obviously has to go in and, and um, make them be even better. And he makes them all even better him, with the music editing team. But um, as far as uh, as far as uh, the season, 
you know, I hope everyone likes it. Uh, I think it's, it's the biggest season yet by far. I think Noah has said that it's like the last three seasons combined are, are not as big as this one in terms of the scope and the cast and, and just the overall production of it. So it was great to get to work on that. And it, it, it took the longest as well, partly because, you know, we have, we had to be shut down in March um, when the pandemic started uh, as did so many other people, but in, in a way that was nice because we got to spend so much extra time with the footage Um, they had shot, they had been able to finish eight episodes, which actually turned into nine episodes during the, during the lockdown because we had some episodes that were just so long that uh, Noah made the decision to try to recombine some of them. And uh, so we turned the first eight hours into nine hours and then finally got to go back and finish shooting. And all of a sudden it wasn't winter anymore. And it was, it was, it was summer, but they're making that, that work through a combination of clever script changes and some visual effects. And um, I think I, I can't wait to see the whole thing on screen. So I hope everyone enjoys it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy how it just uh, time flies. I mean, I, I hadn't seen you probably, you know, now it's going to be it's going to be closer to a, a year. I, it feels oh, like I just... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't but, take uh, that long. Yeah, no, and, um, and uh, but you, you've been working through the pandemic. I mean, uh, what has that, ex- ex- what has the experience been like? I mean, um, maybe talk about like kind of like the... Maybe how maybe it has affected uh, your your the way you work. Uh, your maybe I don't know if your approach to storytelling and also just in general the technology. What are your what are your thoughts on it? What is your review on on, on the stuff that we were will be using uh, to work from home? Because I I'll be doing that I think pretty soon. Well, it's been a journey. I mean, the, just the <laughs> I got to go through all the all of the stages of pandemic grief with everyone else, but it, I just did it while while still trying to work and take care of small children from home. So, (laughs) um, but no, it was, it was, it was very, uh, you know, I was very grateful and and fortunate to, to, to get to keep going on, on what had been shot. Um, And as far as the way we set up, which a lot of people are still doing it this way, I believe, but there, you know, we had, the office still set up, um, you know, in the Burbank area where we had been and, uh, all the computers were still there. Even all our, you know, beautiful house plants and wall decorations and whatever we had in our rooms, it was still there. Um, and we just remoted in from home. Um, they rented us a, a home system that we could use to remotely access the computers at work. Um, so, and it, it, it's all worked. It's all worked fine. You know, they've had, we've had internet issues on and off. Some, some people were getting booted off more than others. Some people were lagging more than others. Some people had resolution problems and, but you know, for the most part, it seems like most of it is getting ironed out. Now we actually switched just recently to a jump desktop uh, client which uh, seems to be working better for everyone. So I don't know if this is the wave of the future, but um, it is certainly doable. Uh, I guess the, the things I miss most are, I mean, first it, it's, you know, there, there's just some something lacking about not having any, any sense of sort of community when you're, when you're doing these things, because, you know, we're just used to being able to, 
you know, stretch our legs and go down the hall and ask, you know, our assistant or even other editors on the show, you know, what they think of something or just to talk about how things are going on their episode, the, the sort of non-essential discussions that, that happen when you, when you randomly, you know, meet people in the office and, or just have lunch with them every day. And so it, it's just, you know, it's weird to be more distanced from one's coworkers when you're all trying to work on the same show and work towards the same goal. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and, and then there've been little things like, um, with this remote setup, I don't know that it's possible to set up like a client monitor. So, you know, we've been stuck with just having, uh, two screens, which, you know, maybe that sounds like it should be plenty, but normally in, in post rooms, we, we have at least one, if not two, you know, basically television monitors that are next to our workstation that where we can actually watch back what we're doing. Right. You can see, you can sit back and watch the episode or watch dailies or, or just uh, be able to see it on a screen. That's not, not the, the tiny little computer monitors. And even, you know, even if you make it full screen, it's, it's, it's trickier to deal with. And, uh, you know, for me anyway, I always, the heart, <laughs> this is more in the weeds, but I guess that's what this podcast is for, but it's, you know, switching back and forth between source and record, like to see, you know, some, to sort of eye match things on the, you know, in the sequence versus in the dailies or in different versions of the sequence. Uh, it's, it's so much harder when you don't have a client monitor because you can't, you can't flip back and forth between the two and see and see if the image jumps right. So little things like that, yeah, you know, it's 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 just an adjustment. But ultimately, I think everyone appreciates to some extent the 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 lack of a commute, and I certainly really appreciate the the ability to you know leave my office at the end of the day and and walk across the hall and put my kids to bed instead of driving home. So, uh, you know, I, I think we all hope that some part of the this workflow sticks and that we're given a choice to do some work from home, but that also that there's a place that's communal and and that we can all get together and, you know, do the collaborative things, which are which are part of it after we've, you know, put everything together in our dark little rooms. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that, especially the, the part about, you know, not going to the office, not being around that community, being around your colleagues and being able to collaborate and, you know, bounce off ideas, other, other editors, other assistants, you know, other creatives. Do you think though that all this stuff is going to affect, say, the way that we enjoy this job? It depends on my, my mood for the day and how much coffee I've had, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's interesting that you say enjoy the job because, because I do, I do have that fear sometimes. Like it, you know, I, I was saying a few weeks ago that it's, there's sort of this spell that Hollywood casts over you where, you know, you go in to a semi-private space where you're just sort of creating these things, which no one else is allowed to see until they're done. And, and it, it has this aura of very important work and, you know, it is important in, in its own way, but we, you know, we're not curing cancer. And I will say the weird thing about working from home is that spells a little bit broken when, when you're constantly interrupted by, you know, crying children or, or the, <laughs> the lawnmower or the yeah. gardener outside or yeah. you know, whatever it is, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit less glamorous nowadays. And, you know, I, I think as long as we can keep meaningful relationships with our peers through, through whatever, 
you know, however that is, you know, I, I think that it will, will, will continue to be an enjoyable job that we, you know, it, 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 ultimately it's the collaboration and, and working with like-minded people who are creatively stimulating to you that, that makes it enjoyable. So for me anyway, it's, it's the feedback that you get from your peers and, um, you know, the audience at the end of the day, but the, the peers is, it's more important for me to, you know, please the showrunner and the writer and, and, and even, you know, get a attaboy from other editors on the show. Like that, that part of it is even more important to me, I think, than, than getting a good audience response or, you know, or, or certainly a good critical response. I mean, audience, you know, you, you really want it to connect to the audiences too. But uh, as far as how it's going to affect the business moving forward, I mean, you know, I, I got to say like, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners uh, of your very popular podcast who are, are trying to get into the business and it's going to be interesting. It's, you know, it's gonna, certainly going to be an interesting few years, but, you know, just going forward, uh, you know, how is this going to change the way in which this is such a word of mouth networked, business. Like if I was starting to be a PA right now on a great show like Breaking Bad or its equivalent, how could I learn from the team like I did before? You know, how could I sit with the assistants and the editors and see what they do? You know, right now you you can't do that at all. So I, I just hope there's ways in which the collaboration comes back, at least to the the point where you know, we, we, we do get opportunities to, you know, not only meet each other and bounce ideas from each off each other, but to, to, you know, to, to really learn from each other. And, uh, you know, cause I think at every level, this business revolves around those kinds of happen happenstance, uh, meetings or discussions or, you know, running into someone in the hallway and being like, Oh yeah, you also know so-and-so and Oh yeah, they're doing uh, a, new, a new show soon. Or, and you know, that's how job offers get made. And that's how, you know, that's how people move up from assistant to editing or an editor that wants to be a director or at, at every level there's it's the way the business has worked in the past has been uprooted right now. But obviously, there's still a huge need for content, and and all the big streaming players are all out there. And um, there, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons I think to also be optimistic about um, you know the next the next phase for for Hollywood. I've heard it from a lot of people, uh, you know, they're expressing their concern specifically about that, like you know, a PA saying how, hey, well, how would I, you know, learn now, say from assistants, or you know, how do I, I meet more people? Yeah, uh, very valid points. Um, one thing I do tell people right now is like, hey, you know what? If, if there's a time to network and meet people, I think it is now, even though it's like this virtually. But I think you know, I think it does. I'll say it just doesn't. Yeah. There's no reason to stop networking. I think yeah. it is. It is a good moment. I encourage people to still be out there meeting. Yeah, there's every reason networking. to do it even more. You know exactly. Yeah, uh, it's just a you know, it's just a different way of doing it. Um, but I don't think it necessarily has to stop given the the, the circumstances. Yeah, I, I've always broken networking down into sort of two categories, and you know, there's there's meeting people who who you're not working with and who you know who you who you would love to have a conversation with, but ultimately they they you know they might like you after the, that conversation, but they're not gonna they're not really gonna know if you do if you're good at your job. <laughs> Sometimes that doesn't matter, but you know, because for me. Um, I've always preferred um, networking through through the work that I do to 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 mixers and stuff like that um, because 
you know, I'm just, I'm just better at getting to know people in an office environment than, than at a party. But, um, so that's why I, I, you know, I think that absolutely, you know, straight up networking and talking to other people is, is a, it's very important and an essential part of this business and we all do it. But I just hope the other part of that, of networking, of the, of the way that we network with people who we work with in ways that they, there's actually a face to connect to the name and that you, you know, it's easy. It'd be easy for me right now to work with somebody who I never meet and I don't see their face and, and I would, and they're doing a great job, but it's just going to be harder to remember like on the next job, like, Oh yeah, that person did a great job, but I never really met them. (laughs) So yeah, I think, I think it's really, um, you know, it's important to network while we're not working, but I think it's just a new normal, right? Like we just have to make an effort when we are working too, to, to reach out to our coworkers every day and be like, Hey, what did you work on today? And, uh, Oh, do you want to watch the scene that I, that I, that I was working on, you know, and, and try to get that feedback. And even though we're not in the same room together, I, I think that that, that putting an, putting an effort into that is probably going to be pay off in, in dividends, you know? Absolutely, man. Curtis, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, and, you know, obviously, thanks again for, for being on the podcast. I just got one more question, man. You know, you, you obviously, like I said, you, you, you worked on some big shows, still are. Uh, how do you evolve as an editor and as a storyteller? What, what, what are you doing to, I guess, just get better at your, at your craft and, and telling stories? You know, you just have to to try to not uh, not start dragging your feet. Don't you know? Don't get lazy. Um, try to remember that even when you've learned a lot, that it, you know we want this. We're, I think most people are doing this because they think it can be a lifelong, you know, a lifelong skill that that you always continue to improve on. And so it's easy to get a little complacent and think like, oh, I know how to put this thing together and, and you just do it and you don't think back. But I, I try to continue to grow by just taking special note of, of when a scene gets better after I thought it was as good as it can be or a director or, or showrunner or whoever it may be has an idea that I never thought of. And, and you just have to try to make a mental note of those moments when, when you're, you're somewhat humbled or you just, you just learn something that you maybe wouldn't have thought of in any other way or thought was impossible. And it, it broadens your scope of what, of what you can do with the craft. And uh, I think compiling those moments and, and making sure we, we recognize those moments as, as ways to improve uh, is, is the best way to sort of keep the work vital and interesting. Awesome. And well, great advice there. And, uh, and, and, and thank you again, Curtis, uh, for being on the show. Uh, really was great to, to, to know more about you and honestly, just to just see you since we, you know, we last worked together, dude, it was just great catching up. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so really, uh, thanks for, for, for being here and, and giving me, giving us uh, some of your time. My pleasure. And, uh, hopefully we'll, um, next time we'll, we'll do it in person. Exactly. <laughs> we got to get the crew together, man. Matt, Nick, Garrett, Monty, everyone. Everyone. <laughs> I love it. All right, Curtis. Hey, dude, thanks again. And, and good luck with, uh, with, with your next show. Oh, I appreciate it. You too. Huge thanks to Curtis Thurber for being on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Great to hear he benefited from mentoring and is now passing on his knowledge to his assistants. If you want to hear more advice from Curtis, go to hollywoodeditingmentor.com slash episode 7 and sign up to receive bonus outtakes from this episode where Curtis talks about editing scenes and troubleshooting projects. Thanks again for listening to episode 7 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. I'll see you in the next episode.